0: For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. You know, this morning is a great, great, great morning. We have so much to be thankful for coming out of Thanksgiving, going into the Christmas holidays. And I am so thankful to have Rodney North in the studio with us this morning. Good morning, Rodney. Good morning, Vernon. And coming in this morning, I met somebody at the front desk, and she was—I was introduced as the co-op man, but I'm not the co-op man. Rodney is. He's taught me a lot. You've been on the program several times, right? Yeah, I was. I'm happy to say, proud to say, I was one of
1: your first guests, right? Um, and uh, this is my third appearance. So that was in
0: December six years ago. So this this is six-year anniversary. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Okay. And at that point, you were with? Equal Exchange. Okay.
1: Yeah. The large worker co-op that cooperates with farmer co-ops and consumer food co-ops and co-op banks and all that good stuff. So a lot of cooperation among
0: co-ops. The sixth principle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They are a veritable poster child for
0: <laughs> principle six. And I remember that first Christmas, we had three shows related to Equal Exchange. Yeah. So I got yep. to understand a lot about Equal Exchange.
1: Yeah. You got to talk to my colleagues, uh, LJ and Beth Ann. Right. So what are you doing now? So now I'm an independent co-op consultant, uh, heavily active in something we're probably going to talk about, the DC Co-op Stakeholders Group, which, of mm-hmm. course, you've been participating in as well. Okay. So what does a co-op consultant do? We help provide some of the know-how because as uh has come up you know often on the show even uh, last week people just aren't brought up exposed to the idea of co-ops um unless maybe like they're in a farming community or they grow up in a housing co-op but the vast majority of americans just aren't uh, exposed to it um it's usually not taught in business schools it's not often mentioned in your business magazines. Uh, it's kind of like not um, in the air like, you know, IPOs and there's all kinds of other kind of business models and stories that are in our face all the time. Co-ops, not so much. Yet, you know, as you've talked about in the show, you know, they are, in fact, everywhere. They're all around us. We have multi-billion dollar, many, many billion dollar sector here in the U.S. So there's co-ops. They need help or they're helping others to grow, to get started. And there's folks like here in DC area, me, Jim Johnson and others, who help provide some of that know-how, which whether it's around governance or culture issues, because of course, when you own it, as you do in a co-op, that's a different set of
0: roles, responsibilities than you have in a conventional entity. So I remember from six years ago, talking about those different roles, you were telling me that in the daytime when you were at work, You may be in a business, in a meeting, a business meeting with your your boss at the time, who was the president, I think, or chief executive officer. And uh, you would be taking direction from him of what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. But that night, as chairman of the board, when you had that role, vice chair, vice chair. okay that the that same person may be in a meeting taking directions from the board members or taking direction from you or well, from the board as a group, group. yeah because right. the board collectively
1: would have uh authority over management who had authority over the employees who were mostly worker owners who would elect the board so it was a circle yeah everybody was accountable for somebody sorry everybody was accountable to someone uh but we had different roles so that kept the sort of the lines of authority sort of clean and uh, comprehensible.
0: Well, I liked it because I never thought about that—that that an employee then could be on the board. That in the daytime you're taking directions from the management, and at the evenings that management's taking directions from the board members, which you would be on.
1: Yeah. So, in fact, there were uh, three major hats uh, that one would have—at least three. So, you know, you're a worker. You know, you have your job to do, you know, it could be in accounting or sales or operations or working in the warehouse. So you're a worker, you're an owner. And so when we get together, we got together about four to six times a year as owners. So, you know, like these days, Equal Exchange has about, I think, 160 employees. Let's say 130, 140 are owners. Okay. And so they're going to get together periodically to do owner stuff, you know, make decisions about what we're we going to do for profits, who we're we going to elect to be on the board, uh, who who gets to be members because you know they would vote on membership, uh, big picture stuff, the vision. Uh, so that's a second hat, your owner hat, and then uh, some. Yeah, you know, and this was my experience for a while. Are also board members who are more involved. So you, they run, they get uh, elected by their peers, and so. As you were saying, going through this cycle, you know, nine to five, you might be uh, a worker uh, and everybody kind of knows the worker experience. Periodically, you're also an owner getting together with the others, one person, one share of stock, one vote. It's a very egalitarian, just very democratic. And uh, then some of those are also board members playing that more hands-on governance role and, and also supervising management. And so... These are the hats. And it doesn't come naturally to change those hats and not everybody sort of swiftly, elegantly is taking one half and putting another one on. This gets back to what you were saying, like well, what does a co-op consultant do? We can help people, the things they need to learn and, and that hat game is one of them.
0: So the hat game is learning, okay, I, I, I got it now. Because as a property manager, which I've been for 26 years, going from a tenant to an owner, there was a major transition in attitude. So this attitude adjustment from going to a worker to an owner or going from a worker to an owner to a board member, that's major attitudinal changes and a different focus and scope.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, Attitude is part of it. Some of it is also, well, what what is our scope? And that could be fuzzy, especially given that Like the owners ultimately are the, quote, sovereign body. You know, they're like the last word. The buck stops with them. They can decide how big their scope is. And so with some, it's very hands-on. They might get into the nitty-gritty. And others, it could be they they could decide proactively, no, you know, we're going to have kind of a narrow uh, portfolio. And we're going to delegate to the board to do the rest. The board then decides how much they're going to be involved And then they, in turn, are delegating to management. So between those three, everybody's going to be responsible for something.
0: Everything should be covered. Nothing should be falling between the cracks. Great. And this is a worker cooperative, which means that the workers, the employees, own and control the business. That's that sovereignty that you were talking about.
1: Yeah, and that's where you get that uh, cycle, sort of that circle, where it's kind of – you think about the snake uh, sort of biting on its own tail. Mm -hmm. So in this case, you have – These three entities, workers, owners, uh, owners, uh, the board and management, everybody reporting to somebody else in that circle. Hmm. And uh, with some thoughtfulness and sort of, you know, candid, productive discussion, you can work out, okay who's doing what? So you don't uh, you can avoid unnecessary turf battles or misunderstandings.
0: Wonderful. So that's what the consultant does. We can do other
1: things, too, you know, to help with more conventional uh, issues like, you know, market research or, you know, helping to plan a startup or advising people on, like, how do you raise capital? And, you know, it's going to be different in a co-op structure. You're, you're not going to be giving away control when you accept investors' money. And thankfully, and, and, and all of these people have been guests on your show, there are more and more folks and organizations out there providing capital to co-ops of all types including worker co-ops. And so consultants like myself can help steer people to the most appropriate form of capital for them. And so when you talk about those people that have
0: this capital, who are
1: those? Well, you know, like you, you've probably talked to the folks at shared capital Mm -hmm. co-op, the working world. I'm pretty sure you've had Brendan Martin on Mm -hmm. co-op fund of new England. And now like around here, uh, WakeF is helping to provide some of the capital necessary, in this case, for conversions, you know, conventional businesses who, for a variety of reasons, might be deciding to convert themselves into a workaround co-op. They're going to need financing for that transaction. And uh, WakeF is uh, now helping to provide some of that financing.
0: So the two that I can think of that have been on the show that you didn't mention, like Share Capital has been on, Working World, Co- the uh, Cooperative Fund of New England. I'm not sure WakeLive if Jennifer has been on the show, but um, yeah, I know them very well. Well, you can put that on your to-do list. Okay, and the, the National Co-op Bank and Capital Impact, uh, Impact, Partners. Impact Partners, right? Are a couple of that have been on the show that provide this funding. Okay, and yeah. if for some startup funding, it's CDF. Uh, they have some startup monies, particularly for food co-ops and this assisted living kind of
1: co-ops. Mm-hmm. And there are more out there, and increasingly, you don't even need to go to you know what's called a CDFI, right? Community Development Financial Institution. Um, people are going. People are going to the people. You know, people are they're doing a variety of um, whether it's Kickstarter, using platforms like that, or doing stock offerings. And uh, there are people out there like uh, Jenny Cassan, that's K-A-S-S-A-N. Uh, she, uh, Jason Weiner, out in Boulder, uh, the um, Sustainable Economy Law Center in California. Um, they're all helping uh, show how uh, you know, social enterprises, including cooperatives, can go raise sort of ca- co-op friendly capital. And this is something that Equal Exchange helped to pioneer, you know, way back, you know, in the '80s, uh, with the help of people like the ICA Group. Mm-hmm. Have you talked to them? Yes. So, um, so I mean, that was something, like I said, going back to the '80s, and now that's that's beginning to catch on, where either a new co-op or a growing one, or you know, or even a veteran, uh, long-established co-op, can go sell non-voting shares to members of the public. And that uh, brings in capital, but because it's non-voting, the worker owners or whoever the owners of the co-op are uh, don't need to cede control. That's why it's called co-op
0: friendly capital. OK, because is that the third principle? They have to have autonomy and independence.
1: I don't know if it's a third, but it's in there. Okay. Yeah. One of the seven co-op principles. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah. Um, um, all right. So. Those are some of the kinds of things that you're doing as a consultant. I got startup, help startups have to raise capital, strategic planning, marketing planning, how you work through the different roles that one has to play and yeah. help to solve perhaps conflict that comes up and arises. Well, One I'd like to
1: add, and this is uh, something I've been doing here locally with a, a great nonprofit, uh, they work all over the, the DMV, uh, District Maryland, Virginia area, called the Phillips Program. And I was helping them think through the selection of their model, their business model. And we can talk about that on the other side.
0: Okay, so we're going to take a break right now. We're talking to Rodney North, who's a co-op consultant in the Washington, D.C. area. And we've just talked about how he worked at equal exchange and then came back down to the Washington, D.C. area and has been doing this consulting, helping with startups, raising capital, strategic planning, marketing planning, business planning. And uh, how do you resolve conflict if conflict comes, particularly the different roles that one plays in a cooperative? So we're going to take a break and we'll come back and talk about I really want to get into this D.C. Stakeholders Group, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about, all the different co-ops in D.C. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op. We're here with Rodney North in studio today. Uh, he's been on the show a couple other times, uh, and this is the first time he's been in studio and just delighted with Radio One and Kathy Hughes's studios. They're state of the art, and they're very, 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 very nice.
1: Yes, I'm I'm very impressed with the uh, the, the facility
0: here. I uh, hope I can come back again sometime. <laughs> yes, we'd love to have you back. So, uh, Rodney, you worked at Eagle Exchange. Now you're doing consulting here in the area. And you've you've talked about this D.C. Cooperative Stakeholders. Yeah, D.C. Cooperative Stakeholders Group. Okay. How did that get started, and what what is that all about? Uh, Well, a lot
1: of credit goes to uh, this uh, friend of ours, uh, Kate Marin, at the DSLBD, Department of Small and Local Business Development. And, in fact, uh, this month is the third anniversary of the launch of the D.C. Co-op Stakeholders Group. So uh, going back to, I guess, be 2015 or 2016, people, and I don't know who exactly, were aware that co-ops showed up in sort of like the master plan for the city government. And so somebody had the idea that around different issues, it could be either uh, cooperatives or meeting the needs of returning citizens, um, that these affinity groups ought to be convened to see if there's something that these groups could do together. And so, uh, I guess maybe DSLB took the initiative or, or Kate was pushing for it. But uh, what came out of it was DSLBD, or I'll also say Kate, uh, set the table and put out a call. In this case, hey, anybody who's interested in co ops, we're going to get together once a month and we guarantee we're going to do this for at least six months, even if nobody shows up for the first five. We're going to do it for six months and just see what happens. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I call that sort of setting the table and ringing the bell. And so uh, DSLB did that, and a bunch of us showed up. Uh, you showed up, and we got people so people from local co-ops or people who sort of support cooperatives, the National Co-op Business Association, national co-op Bank, capital impact partners, people from city government, uh, you know lawyers who are interested in co-op uh, legal issues, uh, academics who had been studying this and who had a lot to share, um, people from sort of Uh, nascent worker cooperatives. There were all kinds of points of entry, points of interest. And so we very quickly realized, yes, we don't know exactly what we can do together, but just getting together seemed like a good idea. And uh, to me, uh, it's not surprising that a lot of good stuff came out of that, just people meeting each other. So even if the group didn't do X, Y, or Z, there was X Coming out of the group, you know, because of these uh, these chance uh, meetings and people getting to know each other, it's like, I need this. Oh, I have this. Uh, and they can go off and, and, and advance that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we did a poll amongst ourselves trying to figure out, OK, what are the issues we care most about? Like, what are the things we'd most like to do? And uh, there was a clear uh, sort of a critical mass of interest around uh, anything to do with food. So that might take the form of consumer-owned food co-ops or small food producers getting together in some sort of cooperative structure. Um, It could be urban farmers getting together. So anything to do with food and also a great interest around worker co-ops, either supporting existing ones, promoting the idea, helping new worker co-ops come into existence. So over the last three years, those have sort of been consistent areas of interest and i'd say a third you know when you look back and say okay what are some of the uh common activities or or recurring activities over those three years uh would be events and education uh you remember we did an event in anacostia at the anacostia arts center or uh, in the hive which is below the arts center uh giving a talk about how co-ops strengthen neighborhoods. Um, We've done these events on the mall where, thanks to NCBA, there have been uh, the co-op festival, right? You know, many, many co-ops from around the country, really, uh, set up booths and, you know, sort of preach the co-op message. Uh, So our little stakeholder group, we've had booths there telling people, you know, we exist co-ops exist in the city. Uh, these are things that we're trying to do, trying to encourage people to, well, first make sure they even know we exist, and then encouraging them
0: to, to join us and participate. We know that we exist, that co-ops exist, but I even before that, because you, you mentioned this earlier, just know what co-ops are. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. So, and there, there's not... There's, that is something we've consistently been doing. Oh, so, for example, do so we meet monthly? Next meeting is... Uh, December 11th at uh, 6 p.m. Location uh, to be determined. Well, because we don't know the location, and that's six days from today. Right. But we can tell people about our website. That's what I wanted to know. Yeah. So it's very simple. DCstakeholders.coop. And you can go there. You can sign up. So you get regular uh, alerts, including messages about upcoming meetings, where it's going to be. The meetings aren't always in the same place. So DC op and often before the formal meeting starts at six, somebody like myself will do a co-op one-on-one. So starting at five, and it's just whoever's interested. Maybe they don't want to come for the full meeting, but they have co-op questions, or they want to know more about what is a co-op, what forms does it take, or they're in a co-op and they want to ask. It's you know, kind of want some free coaching. Uh, about some issue. So we can help uh, provide that. So we've done organized activities uh, like the DC co-op day that we did late October. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we can talk about that more later. And then just these uh, sort of small monthly meetings where people can learn more, they can connect with others who are interested. Through these meetings, uh, I learned of a couple who, whose names I won't share right now. Who wanted to loan a substantial amount of money to a local co-op, but they didn't know the local co-ops and through attending the stakeholder co-op meetings and then meeting me and we could talk further, they were able to find a local co-op to whom they extended a very meaningful loan. So that's kind of a sort of serendipity that can come from simply getting together regularly and talking.
0: Without talking about the name of the person, some idea of how much money? Was that 50000 $500, what 500000 $100,000. Wow. Okay. So the co-op stakeholders group meets once a month. The next meeting is... The 11th. 11th, which is next Wednesday evening. It starts 5 o'clock for Co-op 101, which is basically what's the basics of co-ops, what what are they? Yeah, you don't need to be a co-op expert. In fact, it's like for everybody but co-op experts. So they shouldn't be intimidated. So anybody that just have a question about it, want to know something about what we're talking about here in this show, you can come and Rodney or somebody will give you the basics of co ops And if you're in a co-op, which I get a lot, I and mean, uh, uh, housing co-ops or some other co-op, then you can just come in and ask your question, and if the person there doesn't know, they'll know who somebody they can contact to get that information. That happens to. all the time, where you, uh, the referrals. You know, yeah. it may
1: not be that the exact person you need is at that meeting that night, but somebody probably knows somebody right. who can help you along. Like just last night, I went to one of the Food Policy Council meetings, and um, I heard about something that was going on. It's like, oh. They really need to talk to capital impact partners about this new food related fund that's getting started, and that just the kind of thing that happens at our uh, stakeholder monthly stakeholder meetings okay so you just put a lot in there went, what was this meeting <laughs> oh <last>? so so, <laughs> um, so last night I went to the monthly d c food policy Council meeting food and, policy council meeting yeah and so this is not related to co-ops per se that there was some co-op you know, stuff discussed. That's why I was there. And um, one of the speakers was talking about a a new, um, I think it's called Good Food Investment Fund. There's a sort of a co-op angle to it. And so I made a point after the meeting to go to him and say, oh, you need to talk to capital impact partners. We mentioned them earlier.
0: They Mm -hmm. do a lot of lending to cooperatives. Um, And this, I'm sorry, this year, well, I think starting last year, they made D.C. as one of their main focus points that they want to do. And they've done a lot in Detroit. Yeah. So they're making DC their focus point. So, okay.
1: yeah. so uh, I was just using that as an example of the kind of thing that happens at our monthly meetings where um, just, you know, you get a step closer to the resource you need, you know, the entity or the person you need might be at the monthly meeting or, you know, somebody knows somebody, right. Mm-hmm. And so they pass on a name, they pass on a website and, um, and some good stuff has happened, just because of this, this three-year habit now of getting together monthly of people who care about co-ops. So that's why I'm, I want to encourage you know local folk out there uh, to, to come to our meetings. You know, you don't know what you might get out of it, or what, you don't know what you might contribute. Like you may think like I don't need anything co-op wise, We well, maybe
0: you have something to offer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the meetings are normally we said it's the eleventh at five o'clock and for the general meeting about
1: the general meeting starts at six. Oh, the general meeting starts at six, and the co op one session starts at five okay. o'clock. Okay, now people are free to hang around uh, and, and participate in the general meeting at six, but they don't feel like they have You're to. You're normally at a library or a
0: church, and you'll
1: let us know. Okay. Yeah, some common space. We try to make it near metro stations.
0: We'll be right back. We're going to take our second break here, and please don't touch the dial. We'll be right back. everybody. This is Vernon Oak. The program is Everything Cooperative. We talk about the co-ops, their values, why they're beneficial, what happens in communities, how you get them started. And so with all of the things that we normally talk about, we're so delighted to have Rodney North in the studio with us this morning because he has been active in co-ops now for a couple decades, probably started when he was five. Okay, so Rodney, we're talking about D.C. stakeholders, co-op stakeholders group. We talked about how it got started. Um, we send you meet once a month or we meet once a month, normally at a church or a library close to a metro next meeting's on the eleventh uh, next wednesday and you can go to the webpage www stakeholders it, it 's actually not
1: www it 's just d c stakeholders group sorry d c
0: okay d c stakeholders dot um and you can find out where it's going to be if you want to get information. about it. Uh,
1: I want to give a specific shout out to a new function that um, our mutual friend, Justin Frank, has put on the website, which is that people can they can, so they can sign up to the website and then they can add to our ecosystem map. We want to create a map of all the co-ops in the area. And we've just gotten started, so there's maybe seven or eight that are currently listed. But it'd be great for listeners out there who are involved in any kind of co-op, your credit union, your housing co-op, your Ace Hardware Store, what have you, uh, to sign on to the website. And then you can add – it's called add a listing. You see the red button in the upper right-hand corner. And so – It'd be great to have a comprehensive list of all the co-ops in the area. We, As you and I were saying before the show, there could be as many as 400 just in the district proper because we have about 250 housing co-ops. I think over 75 uh, credit unions. I don't know if that's separate credit unions or branches. Uh, and then you got, you know, all the other kinds of co-ops, you know, daycare. Uh, art galleries, worker co-ops, purchasing co-ops, people like the Community Purchasing Alliance. You got some uh, housing, sorry, worker cooperatives. So it'd be great for people to go ahead and go up there and uh, add their co-op to the map.
0: So you can go to dcstakeholders.coop, and you in the r- top right-hand corner is something called Add Listing. And so you can put in your type of co-op and, and then the, the co-op location and so forth. Yeah. So just real quickly, for those of you that maybe knew, there's four basic types of co-ops. Uh, if it's, and it depends on who owns and controls the business. If the business is owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker co-op. And we've already talked about equal exchange, um, the different co-ops. Uh, GLUT in this area is a food co-op that's owned by the workers. It's a worker co-op. And then if it's owned and controlled by the people that uses the products or services, it's called a consumer co-op. And Rodney's already talked about housing co-ops is a consumer co-op. That business is owned by the people that live in it. Or credit union is a consumer cooperative. Uh So REI is a consumer co-op. REI. And they're on our map. Oh, great. Because uh, they have a new flagship store here in the district. Um, So there's different kind of consumer co-ops. Then on both sides of farming, uh, the farmers got together and understood this world of co-ops. And so they created a business to buy things from. So groups of farmers would come together and say, we want to buy our seed, our fertilizer, whatever we might need, tractors, equipment. Inputs. Okay. Whatever inputs into the farm. Great. Thank you. I like learning. So all (laughs) of these inputs... They said, we're going to create this purchasing co-op. That's what it's called, a purchasing co-op, so that these people can get the skill sets to know uh, all of the different vendors and know all of these different products and b- be able to get better product with a lower price a lot of the times. So this purchasing co-op now is beginning to work more. We have one in the district called CPA, Community Purchasing Alliance, that was mainly set up to work with charter schools and churches nonprofits, government entities, about the kinds of things that these organizations needed. Again, lower price, better quality. And then on the other side of farming, outputs, <laughs> I got it. The so Outputs are called uh, marketing co-ops or producer co-ops. And so that the farmers then would sell their products to this business that they own. So they create this business, and, of course, this business, then the people in this business could learn different markets that the farmer could not get to, and they could add value, and that's why the producer part comes to it. And you get Cabot Creamery, uh, Ocean organic Spray, valley, ocean Organic Valley. Okay. So you get all of these businesses that we know, but we didn't know that they were co-ops. Yeah, a lot blue of time Diamond, yeah. Welch's. <laughs> I do a lot of Blue Diamond nuts. Sun Made Raisins. And raise. Okay. So all of these different co-ops are, in this case, they're producer or marketing co-ops. So those are the four basic types. Now, artists are beginning to use uh, this. Also, they're coming together. And there's Ujamaa in Pittsburgh, a group of black women artists. Some do uh, carvings, wood carvings. Some do jewelry. Some make clothes. And then they would buy from other people of color. To sell, so they have a store in a storefront in Pittsburgh that any individual artist could not afford to do, but by coming together and pooling their resources and their time and talents, then they can run this store and sell their products.
1: Uh, On in that same sphere, we have four here in D.C. the Foundry Gallery, Gallery A, Studio Gallery, and the Washington Printmakers Gallery.
0: Okay, fantastic. So Pittsburgh, D.C. And other organizations are beginning to do that. Okay. And so in D.C., we said about 75 credit unions, which is a consumer co-op. We have 250 or so housing co-ops, which is a consumer co-op. And that's broken down into market rate co-ops and what we call limited equity co-ops. That's limited equity is more for affordable housing. Uh, that The TOPA law, uh, the tenant opportunity to purchase law. You know, Marin Berry was really big on co-ops. Huge.
1: Uh, And I think that's sort of uh, an undersold part of his legacy was, you know, how enthusiastic he was about the cooperative model and all that he did um, to kind of to make it possible. I imagine that a lot of our our current uh, housing co-ops, especially the low equity ones, um, either were started
0: or supported uh, by his efforts. Oh, all all the TOPA laws, all all his efforts. Yeah, it was pretty much 100 percent of these limited equity co-ops that started in the eighties some in the late seventies but mainly eighties, nineties, um, were his efforts and his laws that he put in. No, he's very undersold in what he what he was able to accomplish uh in co ops. And the Federation of Southern Co ops started in nineteen sixty seven that the the thirteen states, southern states, mainly farmers, they were incorporated in DC because the laws in D C <laughs> was favorable to co-ops.
1: Yeah, and to this day, uh, many of the southern states still don't have a sort of a uh, conducive, you know, legal environment for Mm co-ops. So it's a a struggle that continues. Okay, so what are some of the other types? You said daycares. Yeah, um, I mean, when you think about it, right, you know, co-ops often come into a place where something could be done, but it isn't being done because it, you know, the market isn't filling that need. You know, the market provides lots of stuff, but if there's not money to be made, um, some sort of activity like providing affordable daycare doesn't happen. You know, providing affordable housing doesn't happen on its own. So people get together using the co-op model and daycare is
0: one example providing electricity in farming communities in rural communities weren't yeah. wasn't happening in the 30s and the 40s and that's why Roosevelt started with providing monies to help rural electric co-ops get started
1: yeah and so still about 70 percent of the land area 75 uh, to 80 I've heard okay, <laughs>
0: okay. I guess it depends on whether you
1: count Alaska um, okay so, yeah, to this day, you know, call it three quarters of our land area is serviced by, you know, consumer owned rural electric co-ops. So the, the market wasn't interested in meeting that need.
0: Well, you know, this is what one of the problems with capitalism. If you cannot get a return on investment, then you don't invest. Wait, um, I'll push back a little bit okay. because
1: as we saw at Equal Exchange, I talked about how like we were able to raise uh, equity mm-hmm. you know, we sell shares without a vote and we paid our investors a good rate. In fact, over many blocks of 10 or 15 years, they were beating the S and P stock market. Uh, we were paying about an average of a 5% return. So, you know, their, their $1,000 became $1,050, and then it would go up another 5%, mm-hmm. another 5%. So they were doing fine, and they were supporting a great thing, you know, this this worker-owned
0: organic food company. Okay. So now, it's, now, I want to debate with you a minute. Okay. Okay. Because I totally get what you're saying. So if I or somebody that got some extra money says, do I invest in a stock market, do I invest in Equal Exchange or some other worker cooperative – That worker cooperative may give you a better return on average. I got that. And that's not what I'm talking about, though. When I'm talking about with capitalists, I'm talking about when you look at an area in the 30s, you're in the 30s and the 40s, and you say, am I going to put stream wire in through Kansas? Okay. And I can only, there's, there's, I don't know, a hundred miles between houses. And I got to put up all of this line and these poles in order to reach these people. And you look and say, well, what's my return on investment? Well, it's negative because of what I've got to cost to put it in. So I'm not going to do that. Sure. So that's the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Not investing in a worker owned cooperative. That could be a great investment. Yeah. But looking at the, the marketplace and saying, uh, no, I'm not going to put money in that particular market. So yet this this is one of the places that I have found that co-ops come in is when the when the market won't do the investment. Yeah. Well, I was trying to get
1: across that sometimes there is a positive ROI return on investment, mm-hmm. and the market still won't do it. Oh. You know, so it's like maybe maybe your investor could get you know four or five percent, but somewhere else they can make six, seven, or eight. And so they do that other thing, you know. Like mm-hmm. when it comes to housing, it's like, well, I could build luxury condos and make, let's say, eight uh, percent, or I can make affordable housing and I make four percent. So it's not that it's not profitable to b- provide that affordable housing. It's just more profitable to do something else. Yeah. Um, and the money follows the money, right? You know, the yeah. the capital goes to where the money can be made. The most money. Most money. Um, and yeah, and then there is times where you know, there's like a. As you were saying, trying to string wire through empty parts of Kansas where, no, there, there's not money to be made, but there is a need to be met. And people get together uh, to meet their own needs, even if the you know investor-owned businesses don't want to do it.
0: And this is where the co-op model really comes into play.
1: Well, in both places where there's no money to be
0: made or where there's like some, but it's not enough to attract capital. Right. Right. Got it. Okay, so you were talking about the different types of co-ops, and we talked about daycare centers because that could be a place where there's not as much money to be made, and there's a huge need. I know, and we have this uh, crazy situation
1: here where you know, people will readily tell you there's not enough daycare, not enough affordable quality daycare, so parents are struggling, businesses struggle because their employees can't get the daycare they need, mm-hmm. and yet The people who are working in daycare, the the employees are often making very little. Mm -hmm. So they're having a hard time. Like the the market is broken, you know, or as economists would say, there's market failure. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the co-op model is one way. Then it's like another tool in the toolkit to try to solve that problem, meet that need. How? Well, there's you could have the parents owning the business it could be the employees who actually are in, you know working at the daycare they could be the owners and then one of their struggles is getting capital mm. right because they they can't scrape together the money to pay these really high rents that we have in DC to get a location like where it needs to be you know near ideally near the offices uh, where all the workers are but uh and i'm i'm blanking right now on the names but there are people here who are trying to use the co-op model Uh, to
0: meet the daycare need. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I know there's a a daycare co-op in Greenbelt. There's one in um, Southeast, but it's in a school. And I visited them and I've tried to get them on the show. But they tell me, particularly in Greenbelt, they say they're too busy. They don't have time <laughs> to take an hour off to be well, Oh, We, the we don't want them to take their eye off the kids. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's, that's right. good. But this is a motto for you all that have a daycare, that are looking for a daycare center. And uh, by being a property manager, I have a, a site in mind that could probably be a 10, 20 student daycare center that might be inexpensive rent. We're going to take our final break and we'll be right back. Uh, Coming back with Rodney to talk more about the D.C. Stakeholders Group. We'll be right back. Information is power, and that's the reason that WOL is a great, great partner for us. The National Co-op Bank is sponsoring this program. They give you information. Uh, the fifth principle is of cooperation. cooperation is training information. So giving you information so you will know about the co-op model, so you can search and look for co-ops to purchase goods and services from to help those particular owners, or you can look to get information from people like Rodney or the D.C. Stakeholders Group to start your own cooperative. Uh, a lot of times co-ops are formed to solve some community problem whether that's not having electricity in the 30s and 40s or uh not having good quality daycare centers uh in today's market. So it's solves problems, affordable housing, uh no matter what. So it's also a great model if baby boomers who own uh businesses and they, they say there's a silver tsunami tsunami, tsunami. coming that uh all of these baby boomers uh, have the own these uh, small businesses that will either be bought by a larger corporate uh, company. Oh, it could be, I think, 12 or 13% of them have a succession plan, uh, or they'll be bought by uh, big businesses and moved or closed, or they'll close down because they're not going to be sold, and then that community and those employees lose their jobs. So we're looking for conversions, and this is what Wakeless is doing, to looking for helping uh, these Owners have, end up with a win win. Instead of closing your business, you can sell it to the employees, employees can keep their jobs, and the community can keep money circulating in that community. So, what else is happening, Rodney, with what we can you look for in the future with DC stakeholders?
1: Well, uh, one of our uh, more active uh, sort of supporters, participants, uh, have been the folks uh, from WACIF, the Washington Area Community Investment Fund. Uh, that's W-A-C-I-F dot org. And uh, one of the cool things that they got going on is the D.C. Employee Ownership Initiative. And as you were saying, that's looking at the Silver Tsunami um, So uh, as they've pointed out, 40% of D.C. area African-American business owners are nearing retirement, Uh, and a lot of them don't have a plan for selling it or for passing it on in some fashion. And so we don't want to see those businesses shut down. Something that's underappreciated is that they could uh, viably, profitably sell their business to their employees. There's two basic ways they might do that. One is called an ESOP, Employee Stock Ownership Plan not always are viable for the smaller business, say, that has 20, 30 employees. And a lot of business owners have smaller businesses. So for them, it's the worker co-op model might be more appropriate. And so um, WakeIF is uh, facilitating these kinds of conversions. Um, and they uh, and it's led by our friend Jennifer Bryant. So they've formalized a conversion process uh, they 've set up a conversion technical assistance uh, process, and they 've completed the first step with at least four real businesses so you know they 're beginning to fill their pipeline um, but any if you have a small business and you're you're looking you know for like what happens down the line because you're nearing retirement you gotta uh, check them out so that 's wake if. So getting back to Kate, you know, so I like to think of her as like the, um, the midwife of the co-op stakeholder group, Kate Marin, uh, at DSLBD. Uh, she is involved with something called the DC Collective Equity Initiative, Building Wealth Through Food. And to put it as concisely as possible, um, I remember I mentioned at the beginning of the, the the show about how food was this common issue a lot of people cared about when it came to like what could co-ops do in the area? Well, I like to eat. Yeah. But <laughs> well, we, we love co-ops and we all like to eat at least once a day. And so the Five collective <laughs> so the um, collective equity is- initiative is trying to address food issues often with the application of the co-op model. So that could be through support for consumer-owned food stores and uh, food deserts. It could be like urban gardeners farmers getting together and as you were saying selling their their crops together because often it's not viable uh, they don't have the economies of scale doing it one by one but they might do it together um i can tell you an example from rhode island where that worked or it could be the workers at some sort of food related business it could be a catering business it could be a small restaurant it could be uh making you know small batches of jam or pickles or whatever, um, they could be doing it on a cooperative model. So if any of that sounds relevant to you, you should uh, Google the D.C. Collective Equity Initiative or contact Vernon at the show. um, Or Kate.
0: That that could be a start. Okay. And then. Well, i I got got one question on, on Wake with these real businesses. Have they reached out? It seems like they should be able to have a list of the small businesses, either all of them in D.C., and reach out to them to tell them about this conversion piece. Do you know if they've done that, Mark? Yeah, I, I know they've done a lot of conversion. They've partnered
1: with people who know people. So, you know, If has been around quite a while, I think. So, yeah. Is it 25-plus yeah. years? Sometime, yeah. Yeah. So, like, they know the landscape they know sort of the small business community that they're serving but you know they could oh you know any of these um organizations that's doing good they can you can use a hand from folks like your radio show to get the word out that you know hey you know think ahead if you're a small business owner you know do you have a plan for when you retire and have you thought about selling to your employees and if you haven't they can walk you through it, see, you know, like, is that actually a viable option for you? And then, okay, they, they can help you do it.
0: So that is a win, 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 win. It's win Just for everybody. The- For the owner, because he may get money where he just have to close it down otherwise. It's a win for the employees because they keep their jobs and they'll they'll become owners and they'll learn about running a business. They have to learn this transition from a worker to an owner. It's a win for the community because that money stays in the community. And that's one of the things about a co-op. That money turns over in the community five, six, seven, eight times. So it really helps the growth of that community.
1: And and it's it's helpful, um, at least in one other way to the community, which is that – Um, if you, you know what it's like, you know, you're, you're in a a sort of business district and if you have boarded up shops, that's bad for everybody. You know, like you don't want the business next to you to be boarded up. You want it to be full. You want people coming and going business to be happening, you know? So even if you're not selling, you don't want your neighbor's business to be shut down. And then also it's very good for the city because it helps support the tax
0: base. It's, win, it's five wins. Okay. It, totally winning situation. Okay. So what else are you doing, Rodney? So um, one of uh, somebody
1: – you remember I said how one of the benefits of the stakeholder group is just people getting together? Mm-hmm. And um, so I met a gentleman there, uh, Jim Schulman, who's the founder of what's called the Alliance for Regional Cooperation uh, website, ARCDMV.org. And – so I'm a collaborator with Jim and something that Jim is this is in the early stages, but it's a, the working title is the cooperative alliance. And the idea is to create an opportunity for the co-ops of the area to cooperate, to do stuff together. It could be joint purchasing. Um, it could be cross marketing. So reaching out to each other, making it easier for, say, the members of a credit union to find you know their local Ace Hardware store, or housing co-ops, um, or or food co-op. The, often the members of these different co-ops are unaware of each other. You know the the members of the housing co-op don't understand that the credit union down the street is also a cooperative business. Um, members of you know small businesses stick together in the co-op model, like a like Flooring America. These are. Small uh, businesses that are organized as like a national uh, chain, a national co-op of uh, flooring stores. They don't know that REI is a co-op. So getting back to um, the Alliance for Regional Cooperation, uh, Jim is working on creating a method and and sort of uh, an incentive for co-ops to get together, to share, to get more on, on each other's radar, to introduce their members to each other. Um, because all the co-ops would win by doing that. And then lastly, um, something we're doing to stakeholder group is uh, there are p- people who would like to create a youth co-op summit. This is like the co-op day that we did back in late October, uh, which is for the general public. People want to learn more about co-ops, uh, how that could relate to their lives, the difference that it can make. But in this case, the suggestion is that we ought to put on a co-op day but focused on young people. Say I like that a lot. Say ages 13 to 21. So this is just information. But if people like that idea, they should come out to our stakeholder meeting, either this one or the next one in January and so on, uh, and take part. Because really,
0: our stakeholder group is whoever shows up that day. So people ought to get on board. I like that a lot because I just learned about in Puerto Rico, they have in the school systems... They have uh, youth co-ops, uh, worker-owned youth co-ops. About 53 co-ops that run by kids, and this goes all the way down to maybe eight years old. Not so. It's quite quite interesting. A different co ops they have, yeah. Uh, and to learn how to run a business, all kinds of good benefits. Rodney, thank you very much, sir. Any last minute, last 30 seconds, any comment? I uh, just uh, I encourage listeners to go check out your. In library of past shows because yes, there's so many good co-op. ones go to everything.coop to get the last uh shows i think we have almost 200 on there now yeah so it's yeah it's a, it's a real treasure everybody out there thank you very much for checking in we'll see you next thursday and please live cooperatively